All right, we are going to be continuing our series through the book of Romans. I get the amazing privilege to teach on chapter 2 today. So if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 2. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Ben. I am the youth slash associate pastor here. I get to work with all of the teenagers and all the kids from all the different ages and all over the place. And I absolutely love working with the youth. And um, uh, thank you to Pastor Austin for giving me the opportunity to teach the word and uh, to cooperate through this series together. We're going to alternate weeks, as he said last week, one, he's going to have one, three, five, and on through, and I get the even numbers. So today, we're going to go through Romans chapter 2. Again, let's pray before we dive into God's word and just ask Holy Spirit to, to speak to us. God, again, we come before you because we need you. We can do nothing outside of you. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill me, would speak through me. God, that I would get out of the way, that your word would do the teaching. God, that it would impact hearts and lives, and that lives would be changed. We love you, Lord. Bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so how I'm going to do this today is we're going to go through four different sections of Romans chapter 2. We're going to read through all of the verses of the first section, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit and go through what I believe is one of the key verses in that section. We're going to move on to the next one, read it, key verse, next section, read it, key verse, final section, read it, key verse. Um, I, again, am so grateful for this opportunity. I'm really looking forward to this entire series what the book of Romans has, how it has impacted my life personally, um, the, the things that God has used through this book of Romans to change my life completely. Uh, it's amazing. So with that being said, the, these first couple chapters are, as Austin said, a little difficult to teach, but we're going to do it. And if you have any questions or, or concerns about anything that that I say or, or read from the word, I'll go ahead and give you uh, my email so that you can reach out to me this week. It's austin at overcomechurch.org, okay? Austin at overcomechurch.org. Write that down. Make sure you send it to that. With that being said, let's go ahead. We're going to read through the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 2. They're Okay. All right, Romans chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, you foolish person, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that matter in which you judge someone else, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, you foolish person who passes judgment on those who practice such things and yet does them as well, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath. And revelation of the righteous judgment of God. 
who will repay each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-serving and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, he will give wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of mankind who does evil, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who does what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Now, this first section here, uh, you can go ahead and write this down on your, your sermon notes handouts. This is, these verses are talking about God's patience, judgment, and fairness. It's not up on the screen, so you're going to have to listen. God's patience, judgment, and fairness. God's patience, judgment, and fairness. And we're going to take a look at these 11 verses. But first, before we get into what I believe is the key verse in this section, I want to point your attention to verses 6 through 11. And this is a cool kind of thing that I found as I was reading and studying through this chapter. Uh, Verses 6, 7, and 8 are mirrored by 9, 10, and 11. This is what's called a chiasm. It's basically like like an X. It, It arranges itself to where... Verse 6 is talking about how God judges everyone the same. Verse 7 is about how life is, re- is a reward for doing good. 8, wrath is penalty for evil. 9, wrath for doing evil. 10, life for doing good. And 11, God shows no favoritism. So 6 is mirrored by 11. 7, mirrored by 10. And 8, mirrored by 9. There's just all kinds of cool things that may not have even been intentional by the author, Paul, but through the the scribing of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit, he allows us to see all of these intricate details within the Word of God, which, if you've done any study on the Word of God and, you know, how many authors it was over how many years and how many different places, the, the amazing congruency of all of the books is not just coincidence. It's miraculous intervention by the Holy Spirit. So that's just a cool little cool little thing for you guys. 6, 7, 8, mirrored by 9, 10, and 11. But what I feel is the key verse uh, in, in, the, in these verses is verse number 4. Because if you remember anything about last week, um, some of the, the things that were in chapter 1 that Austin talked about are very difficult things to stomach. They're talking about God's judgment. They're talking about men's failure. They're talking about God's wrath. And as we continue through this chapter, don't forget, don't forget that this is a letter. This is a letter written by Paul to the church in Rome, which was consisted of Gentiles and Jews. Okay, it wasn't just Gentiles, but there were Jews there as well, which we're we're going to see pointed out very clearly in in this chapter. But as, as the letter came to the church at Rome, Paul didn't divide it up into all these nifty little chapters and verses. It was just 
written out as a letter would be. So the fact that Austin was preaching on chapter 1 last week doesn't mean that we can just say, well, that was chapter 1, let's not worry about it in chapter 2. All of this, the whole book has to be considered in its entirety, in its context, for us to understand exactly what Paul is talking about. But what I consider cool about verse number 4 in these first few verses of chapter 2 Let's just read it. Let's just read it. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Romans chapter 1 and continuing in chapter 2 past this, as I mentioned, is talking about God's judgment, men's failures, God's wrath, and to me, this verse is right smack dab in the middle of it. An odd placement for how good God is, right? Why, when you're telling everyone about how sinful they are, and how they're storing up God's wrath, and how judgment is going to come upon the people that continue to choose to sin. Why, why here do you choose to tell them of God's kindness and restraint and patience? But it, is it not in the midst of the consequences of sin and our own terrible choices that God's kindness, tolerance, and patience shines through the most. It is the story of the gospel. Let's, let's just step back, okay? Let's take a, a big step back on the grand timeline of the earth, right? As it pertains to the Bible and the genealogies, right? We don't know exactly how many years was before Jesus. Somewhere between four and six, probably, based on you know, the ages of the people that are in there. But you've got 4,000 years, 4,000 years before Jesus, of sin, of men's failures, of God's judgment. And now, after Jesus... We've now seen 2,000 years of men's failures, of God's judgment. But right there in the middle, right there in the middle, Jesus came providing a light to those who are blind, providing salvation to sinners, and providing a way for those that have no way. The gospel, the beauty of the gospel is that this entire book, not just Romans, not just Romans chapter 2, not just the New Testament, not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel is talking about the life of Jesus, but the entirety of the Bible, you can see the story of Jesus. You can see the goodness of God in his salvation plan. 
And if anybody tells you differently, they're wrong. Because this book is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? The kindness of God leads you to repentance. Let's take a look at just a little bit of this context here. In Jeremiah chapter 7, it's not up on screen, just, just listen real quick. Chapter 7, 1 through 5, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter by these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, Amend your ways and your deeds and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words saying, This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a person and his neighbor, if you do not oppress a stranger, the orphan, the widow, do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor follow other gods of your own ruin, then I will let you live in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Remember how I said that this church in Rome consists of Gentiles and Jews. The problem with the Jews in Rome is that they were relying so heavily on the fact that they were Jews. They were, they were relying on their heritage, the fact that they had the law, the fact that they were born into the line of Abraham. They were expecting that to get them through. And there's some people in here that they're expecting their grandma and grandpa's faith to be passed down to them like their high blood pressure was. And, you know, now you're just like, yeah, that's good. They're going to say that their faith is good enough for me, right? I, I go to church. I'm a good person. Well, let me tell you something I've heard recently, and it's, it's the best, one of the best illustrations I've ever heard. You going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Like you putting your head in an oven doesn't make you a biscuit. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's not. No. <laughs> you are a Christian. We will see at the end of chapter 2 when you have inward change. I am so glad that you guys are here. But being here will not save you. What is in your heart is what will save you. The reason I read Jeremiah, and you heard me say the Lord's temple is here three times. I didn't just reiterate it. That's written down in the Bible. The Lord's temple is here. The Lord's temple is here. Again, they're relying on the fact that the temple was in their possession. They're like, we got a cakewalk. God ain't going to destroy his own temple. There ain't no way. Why would he do that? We're good. We must not, in relation to verse number four, we must be careful not to confuse God's kindness, mercy, patience, and long-suffering 
with his, with his condemnation or approval of our sin. The fact that we haven't been judged yet doesn't mean that he's happy with us. Ow. The fact that stuff is still progressing forward like usual doesn't mean that it's progressing forward well. It just means that his kindness, goodness, and faithfulness is meant to bring us to repentance. It's supposed to make us look at everything that we've got and be like, we are so bad, yet God is still so good. I want him. His kindness is meant to show us our appreciation for him, not a ticket to continue against him. Let's continue. Verses 12 through 16. This is going to be our second section. This is Gentiles and God's law. In your sermon notes handouts, this is for the Gentiles and God's law. Verses 12 through 16. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law instinctively perform the requirements of the law, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience testifying and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of mankind through Christ Jesus. Now, the Gentiles and God's law, we just talked about in these first 11 verses about how just because you've got the law doesn't mean that you're following it. Just because you are a Jew, as it pertains to Romans here, just because you are a Jew doesn't mean that you are a true Jew, and we're going to find out what a true Jew is at the end of Romans chapter 2. But the Gentiles here, before I get into the, the verses, again, the Gentiles did not have God's law. They did not go to the tabernacle. They were not at Mount Sinai. They did not, they were not brought out of Egypt. They were not Hebrew. They were Roman and Greek and all the other kinds, all the ites, you know. We are Gentiles. We, well, let me hold my tongue there before we talk about what a true Jew is at the end of Romans chapter 2. But the point being, they didn't have the Ten Commandments. It was not hung, you know, at the, the top of their schools like it was, whatever, 40 years ago. It was not, it was not a prominent Thing in Gentile culture. So when Paul is saying here that they still obey God's law, let me tell you what he's talking about. The key verses is verses 13 through 15. 13 through 15, it tells us that possession and knowledge of the law does not mean that you keep the law. You ever heard that saying that possession is nine-tenths of the law? Well, the Jews were missing that one-tenth. Okay, the Jews 
did not have the correct understanding of the law. They were putting their dependence on the law versus the giver of the law. And when he says that Gentiles, it says that you're justified through obeying the law, not just having the law. So, raise a hand. Who in here is still following the law? Anybody still being fully obedient? No? Lying, stealing? So, Paul just told us that we're justified by following the law, yet we've all not followed the law. So then what? Are we hopeless? Do we, do we have a way? If we're not justified by having the law or hearing the law, we're justified by doing it, then we're in trouble. As humans, as men, as women, we're in trouble because we cannot obey the law completely. But again, the point of these chapters, these first couple chapters in Romans, is not to just inform you of your inferiority. It does that. It doesn't just tell you that you're a sinner and you need a savior. It gives us the savior. It tells us about the one that can solve our problem. Because we've got a sin problem. And we can't do it ourselves. When we have sinned, when we have transgressed the law in one part, we've transgressed it all. Just one little part of it. Which is why it was so monumental for Jesus to come and live the perfect life that none of us could live. It is obedience that counts when we follow God's law. That is when we are made right in his sight. But one page over in Romans chapter 3, Paul tells us that none of us is righteous. And the purpose of the law is to show us that we are incapable of keeping it. We can't do it. But the key verse is here, in verses 14 and 15. I want to point this out to you guys. There is a mini apologetics lesson in these two verses. Okay, Apologetics is defending the faith. Being able to go to somebody who is not a Christian and say, this is why I believe the Bible and this is why and blah, blah, blah. One of the arguments in today's society is the basis of morality. Why we do good things. Where do good things come from? Atheists will say that we don't need God to determine the basis of morality. Basically, we don't need the Ten Commandments because we just kind of know that murdering somebody is bad. We just kind of know that taking stuff from other people that isn't ours is bad. And not even in a like, societal way. Like, we just, we have an inherent conscience inside of ourselves that says that's bad you shouldn't do that well paul again through the inspiration of the holy spirit <laughs> foresaw this argument two thousand years ago when he's writing this letter and he says in verses 14 and 15 let's read them for when gentiles who do not have the law remember gentiles are non-jews do not have the law, instinctively perform the requirements of the law, 
These, the Gentiles, though not having the law, are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience testifying and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. The reason that the Gentiles are able to obey the law, although they were not physically given the Ten Commandments, it's because they were made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. You were knit and woven together in your mother's womb by the hand of the Almighty. And in his knitting, in his sewing you together, he has placed his law on your heart so that you would just know that God is your creator. He is the one who forms us knits us and creates us all in his image so when somebody says that you don't need to be a good person or you don't need god to base your morality on i mean they're they're kind of right like we don't need we don't need a physical copy of the ten commandments to tell us that murdering somebody is bad we know that it's bad and you can show them these verses in romans chapter 2 and says this is, this is an old argument, baby. This is 2,000 years ago. We know that God has written in your hearts the laws of, of, of justification. He's put them inside of you. That's a non-argument. Because our Bible directly speaks to it. Okay? Okay, great. Let's keep going. Verses 17 through 24. We're moving right along. Y'all are doing great. The Jews and God's law. We're moving on from the Gentiles, and we're going to talk about the Jews. Now, this is where I expect stuff to start getting quiet. Not that it's been loud, but it's going to get quieter. This is where we are going to talk about kind of... Remember, this is the Jews. But there's a lot of application to our own lives here. Okay? Let's read, 17 through 24. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and distinguish the things that matter, being instructed from the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to people who are blind, a light to those in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, possessing in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of the truth, you therefore who teach someone else do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one is not to steal, do you steal? You who say that one is not to commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who loathe idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Just as it is written. Bless you. The Jews in God's law. Remember in uh, verse 20. That possession is nine-tenths of the law, right? Possession is nine-tenths of the law. Well, that one-tenth is really important that the Jews don't have. They're banking on the fact that they've got the law 
that it also comes with the knowledge and the truth. Just because you've got something doesn't mean that you understand it. Anybody got allergies? Yeah? Do you know how allergies work? Do you know why you're allergic to some things, not other things? Do you know why you can pet a cat and then, like, go to the hospital if you see a dog? Ah, you got them. Why don't you understand it? The Jews had the law. They didn't understand it. They didn't have the truth about it. They didn't have the knowledge that should have come with proper studying and perspective. Again, they're putting more emphasis on the things they do for God's law rather than God himself. They are assuming a title, a role, a reward, even, simply for just being born a Jew. And I've said, I've hinted at this already, but we've got certain entitlement like that in our world today. We've got people thinking that they're going to heaven just because they go to church. Just because you've got something doesn't mean that you understand it. If you've got the book, do it. Be not hearers only, but doers of the word of God. Now my key verse, my key verse for this section is verse number 24. Let's read it again. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. Now, the, when it says just as it is written, it's referring, to, it's referring back to uh, Isaiah when, again, the promises of God were delayed because of the choices of the Israelites. He didn't bring them into the promised land right away, right away because of their sin, because of their lack of faith in the words that God had spoken to them. And it made the whole world, it made the whole world look at the Israelites wandering around in the, in the desert saying like, a lot of good there God did. He promised them this, he promised them that, they did this, now look at them. Now they're over here doing whatever they want. They're sinning against God. Where's their God now? They're the ones, Paul is talking about here, they're the ones that are supposed to be teaching us. They're the ones that have the law. They're the ones that are supposed to have the knowledge of the law. They're the ones that are supposed to be giving us the example of what a true Jew, a believer in Christ, is supposed to be. You are supposed to be the example of what a true Christian looks like. Forgive me, but I believe that everyone has a copy of the law in front of them. I'm talking about the Bible, right? If you don't, there's one in the seat back, take it home. That's our gift to you. Please take it. Read it. You are supposed to be the ones that 
are studied and are ready to give an account of your testimony of Jesus Christ to the ones that are around you. Yet it's because of the way that you're living the things that you do that people outside of the church look at us and say, I don't want that. I don't want what they got because they're no different than me. They blaspheme God because of you. Mm, you're quiet. Mm-hmm. No wonder. No wonder they blaspheme God. If you're going to claim Jesus, you better claim him all. If you're going to be a hearer only, take him off your Facebook. Get, get your little Instagram description out of there. If you're not going to be a Jesus first follower, then don't put Jesus first follower all over your page. They're looking at your life. They're seeing what you're doing and they say, that's not any different. If you're going to be a doer of the word, you need to quit with the synthetic version of Christianity. Quit relying on your head being in the oven. I'm here to tell you that you want the real Jesus. You want all of him. You don't want to be satisfied with the coffee and Jesus watered down shallow surface milk syrup and American version of Jesus. You don't want that. You want Jesus, the real uncensored raw version of him. You are longing for the real version of God because you know in your soul you were created by him, for him, and through him, and there is nothing in this world that is going to fill the void of what God and God alone can do in your life. You want to be a true Jew. Let's read. Verse 25 through 29. For indeed, circumcision is a value if you practice the law, but if you are a violator of the law, which we all are, your circumcision has turned into uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will his uncircumcision not be regarded as circumcision? Don't get lost in the sauce here. And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law... Will he not judge you? Whoa, Bible turn. Will he not judge you having the letter of the law and circumcision are a violator of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Pay attention. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from people, but of God. Verse number 29 is my key verse here in the true Jew. A true Jew. Verse number 29, your heart needs to be right with God. And there is one way, one way, one way to be made right with God. John 14, 6, very clear, clearly tells us that I am the way, Jesus says, the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. 1 Timothy 2, 2, 5 says there is one God, one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that again because I think that deserves a little repeat action there. 
1 Timothy 2.5 says there is one God and one mediator. One mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. There is only one person who can get you back to a right relationship with God because in the beginning God created us to be with him. That's how it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be with God. And the only way that we can be with God is the one mediator, the man, Christ Jesus. He gave his life, purchased freedom for everyone. Everyone. This chapter isn't just talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and the laws and how they're supposed to live. And how we're supposed to live. This chapter, I said it again, but along with this book of Romans, along with this book, is a big, giant LED sign pointing right to Jesus. Everything. When you see that, and you see who Jesus is, what God has done for you, and you accept his gift of salvation, he will change your heart. He will change your heart. And your praise will not be from people. You're not looking for praise from people. You are not looking for praise from people, but from God. He will change your heart by the Spirit. Band, you can come up. Now, what we've been talking about here, although not necessarily directly, but also not necessarily indirectly, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The salvation that he provides through his finished work on the cross. And now the gospel demands a response. The Greek word for the gospel is euangelion. Everybody say that with me. Euangelion. Let's say it one more time. Euangelion. Very good. It means a good message. To announce good news. When you get a notification on your phone from WIFF or Facebook or whatever, right? Generally bad news. But if it's good news, if it's something that you like, if it's something that you want other people to know about, what will you do on Facebook? Share You'll share it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That was perfect. You'll share it because it's good news. And you want people to know about it. We have good news. That the salvation plan is complete. That it is the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Because he came perfectly, lived perfectly, and died perfectly in the place of you and me. That's the good news, and it demands a response. Our 
understand that everything is about Jesus. If you have questions about Jesus, come down here. Ask them to me. I'd love to answer your questions. I'd love to sit down with you. I would love, love, almost nothing more. No, nothing more than to lead you through the Bible into how you can know for sure that your sins have been forgiven. That you can have a changed heart today because life with Jesus starts now and it lasts forever. Thank you, teens. I love you, church. What is God saying to you today?